We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure contract. But Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He has turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career. Until now. People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu, from Blue Wire Podcasts. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host Nick Filato. Today we got a special show for you during the bye week. We'll be joined by quarterback guru, former quarterback himself, the man, the myth, the legend, Mark Schofield. Reoccurring guest for the Big Blue Banter podcast joined us earlier this offseason to preview Daniel Jones for 2020, go over what he saw in 2019. I'm not sure that there's a single person in this business, in this industry, who watches more all 22 coaches film of all 32 quarterbacks than Mark Schofield. If you find one, let me know. I haven't seen it. A lot of people like to make opinions on quarterbacks in the NFL, having seen only one like we have basically, because Nick and I will be honest, we only really watch Daniel Jones. I try to watch some film every week of at least one other football team, but that's kind of the max I have time for. But Mark, he spends all of his time watching quarterbacks on film. That's his job. That's what he does. So we're excited to hear how he views Daniel Jones's progression and how he views Daniel Jones's future versus not only what he's seen watching Giants tape, but what he's seen watching tape of all 32 quarterbacks. We feel like that perspective is extremely important. So without further ado, let's welcome Mark onto the show. For those of you who don't know Mark, you can follow him on Twitter at Mark Schofield. He is one of the best follows, I think, on Twitter, and that's just at Mark Schofield, and all of his work goes up at Touchdown Wire by USA Today Sports. 
So let's do it. Mark, welcome to the show. All right, Mark, we're going to start out getting right into the nitty gritty of this with something that I specifically want to ask you as someone who's watched a lot of quarterback film and has watched a lot of different offensive systems. And this has been a problem for the Giants dating back even before Daniel Jones during the final latter years of Eli Manning. So we've seen Daniel Jones find a lot of success when teams give him single high safety looks. It seems to simplify his post-snap read, his pre-snap read. But when teams are playing more of the two and three high looks, he's had some trouble. So with Saquon Barkley out and him not in the picture and that not an option, what can Jones do to give the offense a better chance? And what can Jones and Jason Garrett do against two high safety looks? Well, I mean, I, th- I do think it's a, a big part of the equation going forward. Try to figure out, you know, how to handle more zone coverage looks. You know, when he gets some of those one high looks and he knows pretty much that it's man coverage. Like he, that's when he's more successful. It's when he gets into situations where he has to sort of diagnose what the defense is doing, whether it's too high, three high and how to attack that. That's when you sort of see him struggle. I do think that, you know, and I've been saying this for a long time and I, I, I really sort of stand by it. Teams have to be incorporated motion into what they do as much as humanly possible. Uh, Dan Orlovsky recently said that, you know, offenses use motion for two reasons, information and impact. Now, impact, that's in terms of sort of, you know, getting a good matchup that you want, you know, getting a guy that you don't want facing a jam off the line of scrimmage moving so you can't jam him. But there's also the information side of it. There's the we can give our quarterback guidance on what he's going to see once the ball is snapped by putting somebody in motion before the play. So now he knows, okay, I see three deep safeties and nobody's trailing the motion, man. I know it's zone. I see two deep safeties. Nobody's trailing the motion, man. I know at least it's middle of the field open, whether it's cover two, cover four, I'll have to figure that out once the ball is put into play. And so I think that you have to do that, especially if you're an offensive coordinator, you know, as a young quarterback, you have to give him that information before the play, you know, and it, it's something that you can continue well into somebody's career. I mean, I've seen some of what Tampa Bay's done this year, but I will say that, you know, even last year, his final year in New England, Josh McDaniels would use motion as much as he could to give Tom Brady information before the play began. And so using motion is such an important part of giving your quarterback information. It's critical to give that quarterback information before the play, especially a young quarterback like Daniel Jones, who, as we've seen, is sort of struggling when he has to recalibrate his pre-snap expectations based on a defensive adjustment once the ball is snapped. Yeah, when you uh, bring up the pre-snap and what he kind of sees, it's actually pretty interesting because the next question was exactly about that. So, Mark, I think you are a mind reader, my friend. (laughs) I try because last time we had you on the podcast, we talked about how I tended to lean on what he reads pre-snap, finding solution A and B before the snap, instead of quickly working to process what he sees after the snap. Now, while he has flashed a few plays with excellent post-snap reads in recent weeks, Dan and I still think this can be a concern for Jones. Where are you at with that specifically for Jones, especially versus the rest of the NFL Specifically, I guess you could say those second-year quarterbacks. Do you think that he's improving with that? And how does he? How is that like when you look at Drew Locke and some of the other younger quarterbacks? Well, I mean, I, I do think that he's improving. I just don't think the progress is as quick as the Giants would like, as quick as Giants fans would like. 
I mean, we, we know just a couple of weeks ago, you know, that failed two-point conversion try against Tampa Bay, you know, that was a prime example of Jones having information before the snap and still not going where he needed to right away because you had a man in motion. He knew it was man coverage. You knew that Antoine Winfield was going to have to fight through a three-man bunch of three tight ends to cover Deion Lewis in the flat, and yet his eyes were slow to get to that throw. So it is a work in progress. I think you've seen some bright spots in that realm the past couple of weeks against Washington and Philly. I mean, Dan highlighted a play, uh, which I had to then, you know, steal in some work that I did while, of course, giving Dan full credit. But, you know, that play that he had where he saw the single high pre-snap, they had four vertical releases out of a three-by-one with Evan Ingram running the crosser, and he sees the safety drive down on that, so he can't throw it. He has to reset his feet to throw slot fade to the right to Golden Tate. You know, that's what you want to see. You know, that's what you want to see. You want to see more of that, though. Now, as far as how he compares against some of the other second-year quarterbacks, you know, I think he's ahead of guys like Drew Locke. I think Drew has, Locke has certainly struggled with that. You saw that, you know, this week against the Raiders. He threw four interceptions. One of those was on one of these types of plays where, you know, it's a red zone design. He tries to fit in a, a post route to Jerry Judy and he gets picked when he should have readjusted his expectations based on what the defense was showing him. You know, I think in a way he's probably behind Kyler Murray in terms of where Murray is um, in that, you know, Arizona offense. You know, so, you know, Toulon didn't read version of that answer is he's getting better, but it's slower than we'd like to see. Yeah, that's, that's, I think where we're both at with it. Um, For me, I actually had had another question that builds off that, but before I get into that, I did want to follow up a little bit on that because it's something that I thought of when you were kind of divulging there what your take is on this. And for me, my question for you, because this is something I've struggled with, and I feel like you can give us a better idea of what the answer is. When it comes to the pre-snap reads versus the post-snap processing, with Jones, to me, what I wonder about is he's kind of learned this way of playing quarterback, and it started with how he played at Duke, and it's kind of carried over to the NFL. And it feels like a lot of what, in my mind, when I watch Jones, it feels like a lot of what he does after the snap is based on what he reads before the snap and how much, I guess I would ask it like this, Mark, how many quarterbacks have you seen be successful in this style of play versus kind of the Brady and the breezes who can kind of process quickly what they see after the snap and then use that in conjunction with what they saw pre-snap, but not, not necessarily always lean on just on what they process pre-snap and then kind of flip it and change it and, and find the right solution. To me, is it, change or is this kind of just baked into what Jones is and you'll see some flashes of it occasionally like you said but ultimately he's going to lean more heavily on what he reads before the snap I think with with where Jones is right now considering his background and what the past three years have put on his plate you know he's going to have to lean on that and I'm not surprised that his reliance on his pre-snap indicators is paramount right now I mean you're talking about a quarterback that when he was at Duke you know, 72% of his throws were a zero or a one-step drop, which is a yeah. pure sign that he's just making his first read and putting the ball there. I think when now he comes to the NFL as a rookie, he's in one system, now he's in his third system in three years. You know, he's going to have to rely on that pre-snap look because he's not ready to take that next step and because of everything that's going on around him. You know, in terms of sort of taking a step back and, you know, have some quarterbacks had success with this, you know, I think we're still in the process of answering that question conceptually 
you know, because we're seeing more quarterbacks come into the league and because of the pure economics of the game right now, you want that rookie quarterback on a rookie deal. Um, so teams are having to do more of this where, you know, it's a Baker Mayfield, it's a Jared Goff, it's a, you know, Kyler Murray, guys that, you know, were running basically sort of air raid or type, other types of offenses that really sort of were geared towards getting that first read open and making sure the quarterback could go with the first read he had before the ball was snapped. And I think for Giants fans, you know, Jared Lo- Jared Goff might in some cases be your sort of model for how you want the Jones development to go because Goff can still have success when that first read is open and when he's able to get the ball out on time and in rhythm. Where Goff tends to struggle is when he has to recalibrate. And so you've seen Sean McVay run a lot of concepts with motion like we talked about to give him information before the play and then define sort of area reads for him, not even just half field reads, but they do a lot, you know, whether it's Mills or Yankee or high low concepts where it's just your read in this area of the field. And if it's one coverage, you're doing this. If it's the other coverage, you're doing that. So you could still sort of give him, you know, two options on a play and then he has the ability to take advantage of what the defense is doing. And so I think Giants fans will want to sort of keep an eye if you get free time to see how Sean McVay is doing things for Jared Goff because Goff is still a quarterback that is much when he is decisive and that first read is available to him. Another quarterback similarly is is Jimmy Garoppolo. And I know those might, might not sound like great sort of comparisons for Giants fans to hear, um, but those might be the models for Daniel Jones going forward. Those are interesting models right there. So that Jimmy G, I mean, I don't know if Daniel Jones is as handsome as him, Dan. <laughs> I mean, you know, few people are, Nick. Few people are. Very few people are. You are, though. I'll say that. Oh, thank you so much, Mark. You're, you're a very <laughs> kind person. But back to Daniel Jones. Some of his early season struggles, I feel like, were a result of the new system, like we kind of alluded to, the truncated offseason. And they were also a product of a shaky, inexperienced offensive line. And we've kind of seen Jones be baited into throwing hot just for the defense to then bail. I mean, there was an interception in the first game against Philadelphia where it kind of hit off Ingram's hand and then ended up getting picked off because what Jones thought he was going to be throwing hot. Do you think that's a problem with Daniel Jones? And how many legitimate excuses do we can we kind of make for Daniel Jones given the entire circumstance that the 2020 season kind of is right now for the Giants and for the league, I guess, in general. Yeah, I mean, I I think there are sort of some legitimate things you could point to as you look around the Giants right now. Obviously, coming into the season, you know, the coaching staff, the offensive staff, assumed that Saquon Barkley could be a big part of what they were doing, and you lose Saquon Barkley. You know, I think you look around at some of the things that they've had to do up front. Um, You know, maybe Andrew Thomas hasn't been the left tackle you thought you were getting. You've had to play some different combinations of people. You've had, you know, Matt, you know, Matt Part in and out of the lineup, Matt Parday in and out of the lineup, um, Shane Lemieux in and out of the lineup at times. Um, so you've had some different combinations of guys up front that has certainly sort of led to those instances where, you know, Jones is either feeling pressure and has to go hot or, you know, there isn't really pressure, but, you know, he's holding on to the football. So those are certainly some problems. You know, I do think that there are times on some of these more simplified route concepts where Jones has either struggled or hasn't been on the same page with receivers like Evan Ingram. 
I've seen some tr- some struggles with him sort of reading and running stick, which is day one install type design. You know, he's made some poor throws and thrown some interceptions on stick. I know one against the Bears it was a late throw and, and Ingram fell down, but there was another against the 49ers where it was, again, it's stick, it's that speed out from the tight end, and he's not reading it right, and that dates back to something he was doing last year. So, you know, some of those turnovers are on him as well. But I do think, look, we're coming off two weeks where he hasn't made a mistake. He hasn't thrown an interception. You know, he did have one fumble, but it went out of bounds, so he hasn't turned the ball over. And I think those are good signs for what you hope to see from Daniel Jones going forward. Um, So, yeah, there were some plays where I think there are some reasonable excuses given what's going on around him. There were some plays where it was really sort of on him. But thankfully for Giants fans in the past two weeks, the mistakes have been few and far between. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. He has improved in the last two weeks, cutting down on the mistakes. I think a lot of why, at least I'm hoping this isn't the case, but I personally feel a lot of why he's had more success in the last two weeks is because of the defensive systems he's playing. These coordinators just simply didn't want to, they wanted to stick to what they do right and what they feel they do well. And that meant a lot of single high looks, and that's what he does well with and some man coverage. But we'll see if he can kind of adjust and get better and better at making fewer mistakes against too high. I think something you mentioned that's interesting, and I have a question that's different from this, but I wanted to point this out for the listeners who might have, you know, it might have passed over. I want them to focus on this, is that Mark made a point about what Sean McVay's doing with Jared Goff, and it's something similar to what I thought Pat Shermer did really well with Daniel Jones last season. That was a lot of half-field, high-low reads. It really makes it more defined for the quarterback, in my mind, and it gives, and personally, from what I saw, watching this team on all 22 for all these games, it was a better fit for Jones and how he processes as a quarterback. So hopefully that's something Garrett can work into his system. He has shown the ability to alter his system this season. That's a good sign with Garrett. He's not doing exactly the same things he did earlier in the year. It's not just all quick game anymore. He's worked in the zone read uh, running game, which we'll get to in a bit. But I just wanted to point that out because I think it's one way he can work. He can, he, I think Garrett can work that into his system to help Jones. But my question for you now, Mark, would be this. From watching Jones and this Giants offense, one thing that's clear to me as well is what the usage of four vert-type concepts. And even if not every route is a go, but it's a variation of it, like you mentioned on that play to Golden Tate with Ingram running the deep crosser, it's working. I mean, it worked against Washington. It worked against Philly. It's worked earlier in the season. Some people believe that the pass pro is key for this. And Nick and I have kind of gone back and forth on this. But on some of those plays that have been successful using these concepts, Jones really does an excellent job of getting the ball out fast after reading that safety post-snap. And to me, it just doesn't look like on these plays that the pass reduction is all that important to me, just with how quick he's kind of moving his feet, the little wasted movement from the lower body half, and how quick the ball's getting out. What's the best way to adjust the offense for a QB who's finding success on these concepts? And specifically, why do you think Jones is finding more success on these concepts? Well, I mean, I think, Dan, part of the reason is four verticals is a fantastic and well-designed play. Um, yes. <laughs> I think it's one of those plays that, you know, as an offensive coordinator, as a play designer, you want to design plays that have an answer for anything the defense can give you. I mean, let's put it this way. I was an awful college quarterback. I have long maintained that from 1996 to 1999, I was the worst quarterback in all of college football. And I stand by that. I stand by that because when you're a backup quarterback for a NESCAC Division III school and you can barely see the field and when you do, you throw nothing but picks, you're the worst quarterback in all college football. So I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. I've accepted it. 
But what I was able to do was run four verticals because if you see single high, you work the two inside verticals. If you work, if you see, you know, cover two, you can work the boundary verticals or you can throw one of the inside ones. You know, you got to get it out quick before those safeties can make a play on the football. If you get cover four, you know, those outside verticals will convert to comebacks and then you're taking an easy comeback and throw it up a corner. They have a response for everything. And it's a day one install type of play where I am sure Daniel Jones to this point in his career has run four verticals or a variation thereof probably a million times, if not more. And, and so when you have a concept that A, has an answer for everything and B, you are extremely familiar with, you are going to have success with it. And like you said, Dan, against Washington, you know, I did a video of it uh, for Big Blue View where he ran four verticals. He read it extremely well. The ball was coming out. And so it when the quarterback is decisive, the ball gets out on time. And as an offensive line as a whole, you only have to protect for two seconds or so. You know, when you think back to Jones and all the sacks he took last year, some of those, yes, were on the offensive line. Some of them were on the quarterback not getting the ball out when it's supposed to be out. If you're expecting, you know, three-step gun drop or five-step drop or three-step drop under center and the ball's supposed to be out and it's not out then, you're looking around as an offensive lineman wondering what in the heck is going on. And so I, I think that's it. It's the familiarity of it. And it's the fact that, you know, those types of designs just have a way to beat almost any coverage. And whatever the defense throws at you, you know, okay, well, I can throw this route. I can throw that route. And like I said, if it made me look good, it's going to make Daniel Jones look good. That's great. Now, we, we hope that Daniel Jones isn't uh, as bad of a quarterback as you are. <laughs> Seriously, if Giants fans, if you, if Daniel Jones – I actually said this. I forget what quarterback – it was Drew Locke. Um, when I did a video on his four interceptions this week, I literally said, look, Broncos fans, it's a problem when your quarterback looks like me. Okay? So, <laughs> Giants fans, you don't want that kind of scenario. Trust me. Promise me you don't. <laughs> yes, yes, we do not. So, Mark, we know you watch a lot of football. So, from what you've seen this season – is there anything other than pre-snap motion and four verts that the Giants should be doing schematically to kind of make things a little bit easier on Daniel Jones? Like, in general, what do you make of Jason Garrett's offensive system, his play calling versus kind of the rest of the NFL since you kind of have a unique viewpoint because you've seen so many different offenses? Right. I, I think, look, Jason Garrett, probably stemming from his time in Dallas, um, has become sort of a punch and bag amongst football Twitter. People love to make fun of him as the clapper. And, you know, people always sort of get on him for some of his play calling and things like that. But I think, especially in recent weeks, I think he's done a pretty good job of, uh, of putting Jones in positions to be successful. I've always, uh, like I say, motion is one thing that I'm always pushing for. Play action is another thing I'm always pushing for. I mean, even in the wake of Barkley's injury, you know, they had a throw against Chicago that was literally, guys, a one-receiver route, Darius Slate running a curl route. But since it was off of play action, it was wide open. You know, and, and the numbers tell us, the, the analytics tell us, the film tells us, you know, as long as you execute the design well and it sells those linebackers on play action, you could be the worst running game in all of football but still be successful on play action designs because if you're selling it well – those linebackers are reading the keys. They see the guards. They see, you know, the helmets down. They think, oh, no, it's run. They're going to come downhill on it. It's going to create space. And when you're creating big throwing windows as a, as a you know, result of execution and schematics, you're going to make things easier on your quarterback. So I think play action is obviously a part of that. And I think Garrett has done a pretty good job 
you know, all season long with play action, but even in the past couple of weeks, doing some things well to put his quarterback in position to be successful. And I will say this, you know, out of all the teams I watch, I think Philadelphia Eagles fans would love to have Jason Garrett right now, you know, because <laughs> they're an offense and a head coach, offensive play caller, quarterback situation where they're really frustrated right now with, with what's happening on the offense. And there's a lot of finger pointing going on amongst the Eagles fans about what's happening to Carson Wentz. So I think, you know, if you look around the league, are there better offensive play calls? Yeah. Are there better play designers? Yeah. Is Garrett in the bottom half of the league? I wouldn't say he is, no. Well, that's great to hear. And I tend to, you know, I was very harsh on Garrett in the beginning of the season, and I feel like I've come around to him, and I, I'm going to give him credit. I'm going to give the – I'm also not only going to give him credit, but I'm also going to say I'll, I'll bake in the excuse that it was tough for him in those first few weeks dealing with a brand-new offense, an offensive line that was struggling, and now we have a little insight into maybe why that was happening with the coaching change there. And so – I, I agree with you. I think what the key takeaway here for those of you who are listening in and still don't believe it, keep in mind what Mark said is true. The analytics show it, and the film shows it as well. You do not need to have a top-tier running game for play action to be successful. The linebackers read the keys, and all you need is that little hesitation for it to work. Great offenses use play action a lot. They use pre-step motion a lot and misdirection. And I think Garrett has done a better job with those. I still think there's room to grow there. Um, but I want to get a little more into Jones here and in in a little bit into the uh, need of, the needs of it. Let's say with Jones, for me, Mark, and I want to know if this is accurate in your mind, I think the upper body mechanics were really taught and learned well, but I do think the lower half still needs a lot of work. When he's decisive with his post-snap stuff and his reads there, the footwork's crisp, it's concise, but when those reads aren't immediately there, he tends to drift a little bit to his left or look to escape earlier to his right. Do you notice these issues on film when you watch Jones and is that something that can be easily fixed with coaching or is that something that's a long-term concern for Giants fans? I mean, mechanics are always a tricky issue. Um, especially, you know, when you're trying to talk about and address mechanics mid season, um, because you only have so many hours in the day, so many hours of coaching time where you can devote to everything that you have to get installed for a given week where, you know, mechanics are going to be well down the list. I mean, Giants fans, yeah, you have a bye week, but you're going to start looking ahead now. You know, you've got the Seattle Seahawks in a couple of weeks here. Um, so, I mean, the Cincinnati Bengals, excuse me, in a couple of weeks here. And so you've got to start getting ready for what you're going to face from the Cincinnati Bengals. You're going to start putting your installs and things like that. Um, I, I think sort of long term, it is something that, you know, I don't think is fatal or a long term problem. I do think it is fixable. It's going to take some work. You know, like you said, Dan, when he's decisive, the lower body mechanics are a bit quieter and cleaner. Um, when he starts thinking, that's when you start to see the lower body mechanics sort of get choppy. They're not as fluid, they're more jerky. Um, I've always maintained that footwork from a quarterback is a window into their mind. And when the footwork is calm and settled and fluid, the quarterback is comfortable. But when the footwork is jerky, when it's unstable, the quarterback isn't comfortable mentally. And so these go together. The more comfortable he is, the more comfortable he is with the routes he's executed and the play designs that are being called, the better the footwork is going to be. So, yes, part of it's mechanical, but part of it is that mental side like we've talked about. Mark, we have to bring up Daniel Jones's worst game probably of his career outside maybe week 17 last year, Philly. What do you think led to all the mistakes against Tampa Bay on Monday Night Football? 
for Daniel Jones. I mean, we brought up the Deion Lewis play before where he kind of double hitched and was a bit late there, but it was the entire game, his ball placement. There were so many things that were just wrong with Daniel Jones that wasn't necessarily consistent with what we see every week. Yeah. Nick, it, you know, it, it was a sort of fascinating game to study. And I think we, we do have to give some credit to Tampa Bay and what they do defensively. They show you, you know, a lot of different looks. They show you a lot of different packages. You know, they do a lot with sub packages. You know, you look at their first play. It was a third and 11. Um, one of Jones's first throws in this game um, around the 753 mark. And they're in a one five five. And so, you know, they're doing some different things defensively. And there were some problems that resulted from that. And I, I think part of it was sort of game plan and schematics and things like that, um, that they were perhaps really ready for. But I also think that it was a situation, and we sometimes see this with quarterbacks, where they try to do too much. And they feel like, you know, they can't surrender on a given play. They can't make a, you know, they can't leave yardage on the field. You look at the first interception. You know, this is a scenario where the quarterback just needs to throw it away. You know, you're basically wrapped up. You're basically dead to rights. Throw this in a way, you know, yes, you might have to punt, you know, but you might not. Um, This was a second and eight situation, you know, so it wasn't even a third down. You could have thrown this away and live to fight again on third down. And, you know, maybe you do run a draw and you punt. But sometimes in the NFL, as much as people sort of in the the, uh, analytics world like to say, oh, it's. That's that you shouldn't do that. You know, the surrender bot would tweet like, oh, you know, your your chances of winning just decreased by two percent by punting. Oh, okay, but what happens if you throw an interception there? You know, what is the chances of winning? Well, what happens to those chances if you throw a pick rather than punting the football? And so, you know, I do think there's that balance that all sort of quarterbacks go through in trying to do too much or just, you know, sometimes just throwing the football away and, and accepting the fact that you're not going to get yards there and maybe you'll get some booze from the stands, but it's a lot better than the booze you'll hear if you throw an interception. 2020 has reshaped how we work and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time and there are no long-term contracts. And now Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. 73% of online job seekers in the U.S. visiting Indeed each month, according to Comscore. Again, total visits. So it's clear Indeed can help get you the quality hire you need. That's why more than 3 million businesses worldwide use Indeed for hiring. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is the best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire, all one word. Offer valid through December 31st. 
Terms and conditions apply. Football is back in full swing, buddy. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day. Head to Bet Online online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BlueWire, all one word, at betonline.ag. That's BlueWire, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook expert. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, the hero ball aspect of Daniel Jones's game is another trade I think needs. I mean, it helps him at times. It's a good thing at times. This is it's very much like what Giants went through during the Eli Manning years, who played a lot of hero ball himself. Now, I think Eli Manning thus far has proven that he, you know, had more moments of greatness to kind of make up for the kind of the, uh, like you said, the times you need to throw the ball away. But it is interesting because there were also some plays in that game that he left on the field where if you watch them versus Washington and versus Philly the two weeks after it, it seems like these plays were pretty similar. There were a lot of vertical shots that he just missed from a ball placement standpoint that wasn't like him. And maybe it was because the footwork was rushed and because, you know, everything was kind of herky-jerky for him in that game. As Nick as Nick kind of, kind of alluded to on previous podcasts, he kind of seemed a little bit rattled that game. But hopefully that's not the book on Jones because in that game, Tampa Bay did something unique versus what they've done or any team has done versus any quarterback this season. That game, Jones was actually blitzed more than any quarterback in, in, by, in any game this season during that game. So hopefully that's not a new book on Jones. But I actually have another uh, different kind of Jones trait standpoint question from, for you, Mark, if you if you're, if you're, if you're entertain it. And that's from an arm talent standpoint. I feel like Jones has exceeded my expectations. I put a couple clips up on Twitter that really stood out to me this week. The throw to Deion Lewis, the throw to Sterling Shepard, where he comes all the way back across the field from the far hash and throws to the sideline, making a full field progression read. Where do you kind of stand on Jones's arm talent versus the rest of the league? I mean, I'd put him sort of in the upper tier of arm talent. Um, you know, which is, is what, right? what's that? Which, which is surprising, right? Just because that wasn't the book on him coming out, right? He was, I feel like that was always something that people said was going to be an issue for him. Yeah. I mean, how much time do you have here? Cause I might have to sort of get on the soapbox here for a second, because arm talent is one of those things that I think gets both overrated and underrated. You know, and I know that sounds like a weird answer, but so I'm going to try to explain it a little bit further. I think for people like me, you know, I was usually somebody that said, look, our talent isn't the be all and end all of quarterback play. But I do think that there are certain quarterbacks where if you have elite level arm talent, your learning curve is going to be a bit easier because your decision making process, that window isn't as short as it is as it is for other quarterbacks. So if you're Josh Allen. You know, you have a bit more time in the pocket to make a decision because when you finally decide what you're going to do with the football and start your throwing motion, the ball is going to get there faster than it will be, you know, for another quarterback. Let's just say hypothetically Joe Burrow, okay? Because Joe Burrow's arm talent has become a serious area of discussion. But at the same time, you know, I think people make much more of it than they need to, you know, because there are other ways to sort of be successful as a quarterback if you don't have Josh Allen's arm. If you're Joe Burrow, you don't have Josh Allen's arm. So what do you need to do? You need to make up for that lack of arm strength with your mind. 
And so where Josh Allen has more time to make a decision, you have less time to make a decision. So you, the, the, the mental side of the game is going to be critical. Anticipation throws are going to be critical. And so, yeah, you know, you don't have to have an elite arm. It might help you in a bit, but it's not a prerequisite. You know, nobody ever said that Tom Brady had an elite arm coming out of Michigan. Nobody ever said Drew Brees had an elite arm coming out of Purdue. And there's also an ability over time in an NFL locker room, strength and conditioning program, nutritional program, with the millions of dollars you have to now hire a nutritionist and all that stuff, you can add velocity over the course of your NFL career. And so uh, I do think we sometimes overstate, in a sense, arm talent for the quarterback position. Specifically to Jones, though, you're right, Dan. Not a lot of people said, look, this was a guy with a great arm talent. But I think he's an example of how you can start to add arm talent and velocity as an NFL quarterback with improved mechanics, strength and condition, all, you know, refinement to the throwing motion, all that stuff. You know, you can start to add velocity and RPMs to your throws as you spend time in the National Football League. And so, yeah, I'd put Jones sort of in the upper half of NFL arm talent and NFL quarterbacks. And it's a, an example of improving that as you play the position in the National Football League. I think that's fair. I mean, I, I like to, I like to hear that because I know you watch so many different quarterbacks. But Mark, I know we brought up Jimmy Garoppolo and Jared Goff before, and I know we're not huge on player comps. Our good friend Bryce Rossler has made that incredibly clear. But if we were to assign a player comp to Jones with all the tape you've seen, do you have anybody in mind? Yeah, I mean, uh, like our boy Bryce, I'm not the biggest fan of comps. Um, you know, I think sort of looking around as to where he is and what he could be. Um, you know, I think Goff is sort of one player to look at sort of from the mental side of it um, in terms of what you might need to do to sort of aid his process going forward. I think from a physical trait-based perspective, you know, and this might seem horrible to Giants fans, but there's some Carson Wentz there with his athleticism, you know, the arm talent. Uh, I think those areas are similar between the two quarterbacks. I also think there's a hero ball element to both of those players that needs to get unlearned by them both because you've seen Jones get in trouble with it, like we've talked about it. You've seen Carson Wentz get in trouble with it, like we've talked about. So, you know, from a mental perspective, it's probably a golf scenario. From a physical tools perspective, there's some Wentz there. And the physical tools are perhaps, you know, in many ways, the, the good parts of Wentz. So, you know, don't panic too much here in that Giants fans. Yeah, that's funny because I don't know if I would um, go as far as – I mean, it's close. I, I see where you're going with it. I feel like Wentz is on a little bit of a different plane from an arm talent standpoint than Jones. But having said that, I also think you know he's well into his career now, and the processing for him just hasn't taken that jump. So I'm almost – it's so interesting with Wentz. I was so sold on him being this next guy, and it just feels like it's not going to – to me at least, when you're this far into your career and you're still making the same mistakes – it's, it's tough for me to see progression there, but it'll be interesting to see, um, at least from the physical standpoint, I can definitely see some of the ways you're talking about with the athleticism and, and some of the throws that both quarterbacks do well. But my other question for you would be another 30,000 foot view question that I was curious to get your take on Mark. And that's from watching all these QBs and watching all of Jones's tape. Is there, Oh, is there two, two traits that you could, you can pinpoint as Jones's best traits and then two that he really would need to work on the most to improve? You know, I, I think in terms of what he needs to improve, I do think it's those hero ball type moments as well as, 
you know, the post-snap process. And I mean, we've talked about those a lot. I mean, those are two areas where I do think he needs to improve. I think the two traits where he has, you know, his strengths right now, um, the athletics is a component, which I do think is something that quarterbacks need. I think there are two things quarterbacks need when they come into the National Football League that are almost non-negotiables. And one is some modicum of mobility. You don't have to be Kyler Murray, but you do have to be able to move around a bit and create space in the pocket. And I think that's something that Jones has shown that he can do. And I do sort of think, you know, the, the arm talent is a strength of his right now. Um, I think that he's shown an ability to make some good throws to all levels of the field with velocity, with placement, with trajectory. I've been impressed by some of the throws that he's made to the middle of the field this year, which is an area where, you know, when you're a quarterback that's relying on a lot of one read throws, a lot of those quick read throws are going to be to the sidelines and maybe deep downfield along the sidelines not really attacking the middle of the field between the numbers, between the hash marks. And so I've been impressed by some of that. And that gets to the arm talent, how you sort of layer in throws against coverage. So, no, those are, I think, two strengths and two weaknesses from Jones right now, you know, that you can point to as either being things that are great that he can build on or things that he needs to improve upon as we get down the second, you know, the stretch run of the season. Okay, okay. Now, Mark, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here, okay? On a scale of 1 to 10, how would you rate Jones's chances of signing a second contract with the Giants at this time? That's a, that's a fascinating question, Nick. I mean, if you would ask me that after the Tampa Bay game, I might have said like <laughs> two or three. Um, but I think now it's closer to where it should be, which is more of a seven or an eight. Um, I, I do think that, you know, I understand that where the Giants are right now, there's a potential to have a top five pick and the allure of an early pick in the draft and what could be a fascinating draft class might be such that you might say, Hey, you know, we could take a swing here. Um, but I do think that there's been enough growth over the course of this season where I'm not ready to say, look, you've got to cut bait on Daniel Jones. I mean, you're looking at a quarterback that's in his third offense in three years. Um, that is go- He's running this third offense without the benefits of a full preseason training camp, preseason games. And you're starting to see some of the improvement that you were hoping to see. You just saw over the past couple of weeks against, you know, the NFC East leading Philadelphia Eagles and the Washington football team, which is a pretty good defense. And so, you know, I, I, I don't think right now it's time to sort of say, look, we're, we're done with this guy no matter what. Now, obviously, that could change. It just changed over the past couple of weeks after that Tampa Bay game. But sitting right now, I think it's more likely that, yeah, Jones gets a second contract. It's so funny, Schofield, because literally after that Tampa Bay game, I, we asked this question on the podcast, and me and Nick both went back and forth, and I gave it a two. And this just shows how, how fast things can change. Oh, yeah. Now you asked me after these past two games where I saw so much progression from Jones in so many different ways that I wanted to see, I'd probably put it more closer to a four or five, probably a five range. I'm still not as confident to put it in a seven. I still think overall if Jones is going to be that quarterback who gets the second contract, he needs to do a lot more post-snap processing and a lot less of this relying on his pre-snap reads. And I also think he needs to be somebody who can consistently beat zone looks and two high looks. These are two two areas that I still haven't seen consistency from Jones with. And ultimately, they're not they're not they're kind of a be all end all for me. If he doesn't get more consistent in both of those ways, 
I don't see him as a second contract quarterback. But having said that, it is funny that like how fast things change after that Tampa game, man. I was also in that too. I, I dropped a two and everyone's like, really? You're putting a two on this? But I was like, yeah, man, like this is a second contract we're talking about. That means that for the next three years, he has to continue to prove it. And things have changed. I mean, he definitely has shown some progress and you make some great points, third system in three years. And there's also just the possibility that as the offensive line improves, he will improve greatly on the field and in our minds. And that's kind of what I think has happened a little bit in these last two games. But while we have you here, we want to wrap up by talking just a little bit of draft 2021, because I will say this, like you mentioned, when you have those early picks, there is somewhat of an allure to at least consider a quarterback. And for me, the way I see the NFL, if you can have this next level quarterback, everything can change, man. I mean, Kyler Murray, takes over a franchise that traded up for a quarterback the year before, giving up assets, and then had to turn that into, what, a second-round pick? And use that, I think, on... Was that the pick they used on Andy Isabella over yep. DK Metcalf? It might have been the pick they used on Andy Isabella over DK Metcalf. And yet, with all that in mind, and all the turmoil there, they went from one head coach to another in one year. They're already a playoff contender because Kyler Murray's on that offense. And I'm convinced that when you find that guy... With the exception of the Houston Texans, who have mismanaged that situation just so ridiculously poorly that they are actually not going to make the playoffs with Deshaun Watson. But when you have that guy, everything can change. So I'm of the belief that if you're in a position to take a quarterback who could be that guy, you have to at least consider it every single time, unless you already have that guy. And I don't think Jones is definitely that guy. So I have some questions on these quarterbacks and where you're at with them. And I want to start here. I've got a little bit of a draft crush mark. I'm not sure if you've seen me tweet about him. I've tried to tone it down over the last few weeks, but his name is Zach Wilson, and I haven't missed a single snap of Zach Wilson yet in 2020. I can't say that about the other quarterbacks, but I've made it a point to watch this kid play. And to me, with the exception of Trevor Lawrence, Wilson has the best arm talent in this class. When you factor in the ball placement, the arm angles that he throws from, the launch points, I just think he's on that next level. Am I crazy to think he should be in consideration for the second quarterback off the board? No, Dan, I don't think you are. And there's a reason why people are calling him sort of Mormon Mahomes. And it's because of the reasons you just highlighted. The, the arm talent does jump out at you. The ability to make throws from various arm angles and arm slots jumps out at you. The athleticism in the pocket, the ability to make throws from any platform on or off structure, it jumps out at you. And those are the things that I think we've started to realize are extremely important, you know, at the quarterback position. And I mentioned, you know, athleticism, mobility might be one of those sort of non-negotiables for a young quarterback, I think leverage is the other. Can you simply read the leverage of the nearest defender and then put the football where it needs to be in relation to the leverage of that nearest defender? You know, all the, you know, can you read coverage? Can you read, you know, three clouds, three skies, stubby, stump, all that stuff? You know, it sounds cool. It sounds exciting. We all get excited when people do videos of that stuff. But more importantly, can you just see where the nearest defender is and put the football away from him so it gets to accuracy? So Wilson checks those boxes, and I don't think it's outlandish to think that he's in the mix for QB2 in this class. Um, you know, a lot of people will look at the growth we've seen in limited action so far from Justin Fields and say, you know, he's made some strides too. So I certainly think that for a lot of people, Justin Fields will be quarterback too. Um, obviously, there's some other guys in this class that might be making some noise. But, yeah, I mean, I, in terms of a quarterback that's helped themselves, I don't think anybody's helped themselves more so far this year than Zach Wilson. You brought up Justin Fields, Mark, and I wanted to ask you, and I know we always scout the player, not the helmet, but there's always going to be comparisons to Dwayne Haskins because Dwayne Haskins 
seems to have failed pretty miserably in the NFL so far in his young career. So are you high on Fields' skill set, or do you think he's more of a product of what Ohio State does on offense? I'm high on his skill set. And like you said, Nick, people do fall into that trap of, oh, you know, it's, you know, he's the next Penn State running back bust, or he's the next, you know, USC linebacker bust, or the UNX USC wide receiver bust, or whatever. People will look at Haskins and say, you know, Justin Fields can't work in the National Football League, but they're two completely different quarterbacks. And one, Justin Fields has that athleticism where Dwayne Haskins certainly did not. And as we get to believe in that that's more of a non-negotiable at the position, Justin Fields will have a much easier time to acclimate to the NFL than, say, a Dwayne Haskins. And the other thing that Fields has that Haskins doesn't is now he's going to have that second year of work. And so you already have seen the growth from a mental perspective from Fields from one year to the next that we didn't get a chance to see from Haskins. So we didn't know if it was there or not. You know, last year at Fields, there were times when I feel like he got to the right answer, but it was too late. You watch his game against Clemson. Yes, going against Venables and that 3-1-7, it would confuse a lot of quarterbacks. But there were times when he got to the right answer based on the coverage, but it was too late in the play and the throw was late and they missed an opportunity. Now, so far this year, in the limited action he's had, he's been more decisive. You're seeing anticipation throws. The game is slowing down for him, like we like to say. So, yeah, I, I like his skill set. I don't think he's going to be like a Dwayne Haskins in the NFL. I think his potential is much, much higher than Haskins. I'll put you on the spot then real quick. Wilson or Field for you real quick. Are you, You're not ready to make that declaration. I mean, sitting here right now, Dan, um, I'd say I, I'm still Fields. Because um, okay. I like the, the the track and the trajectory that we've seen from Justin Fields so far this year. Um, but there's still some more football left to be played. Um, so I do want to see how both of these guys sort of fare down the stretch. But right now, you know, Fields was my QB sort of two coming in. And, yeah, I'm still kind of there. Yeah, I, I totally get it. I think when you take the whole – when you look at it from a whole perspective, it Fields really is, seems like the safer prospect to me. And safer is not the right word here. I don't right. want to use that's a bad word to use, but there, when I watch Wilson, what I'm really falling in love with is one thing and it's the arm talent. And it's like you said, they, I, I haven't heard that nickname, but I will be using it now quite frequently. The more Mahomes, yeah. it's the Mahomes Murray type stuff that I see. It's that ability to throw from different arm angles and yet maintain incredible ball placement. And that type of stuff I feel like can bail you out of a lot of bad situations in the NFL. And to me, it's <laughs> kind of that next level trait. So we'll see. I may be putting too much, uh, too much um, importance on one trait when it comes to Wilson, so we'll have to see what goes there. But you're right. There's more football to be played. But while we have you, give us a little bit of a take on Trey Lance because Lance is someone who obviously only had that one showcase game this season, but you might have watched a little of his 2019 tape. I haven't seen much of Lance. Do you feel like Lance is – like how would you project him as a prospect for someone like Daniel Jones coming out of the draft? You know, that's that's an interesting sort of comparison, Dan, because – you know, they're both guys that had limited work. Um, Jones had um, obviously more time, um, but he was li- he had limited work in terms of, you know, the offense that he was running where, you know, Trey Lance, they certainly simplified things for him somewhat. Um, but it's an offense that, you know, gets that sort of, quote, pro-style, close quote, kind of tag or connotation, you know, because you will see a lot of that under center, play-action drops, play-action drops in the back to the defense, you know, and sort of watching and studying Trey Lance, I sort of get the sense that, look, a guy like Kyle Shanahan would love him, you know, because he could sort of come in and run that offense right now and maybe even run it better than Jimmy Garoppolo. And maybe that's more of a, 
uh, sort of refrain on where Garoppolo is right now than anything else. But, you know, I think Lance has a good combination of arm talent and athleticism as well. Um, obviously, that freshman year is uh, his first year, and I guess his only full season at NDSU, 28 touchdowns, no interceptions. It's hard to ignore that kind of production and efficiency. Yeah, the one showcase game against Central Arkansas, which was a bit more of a mixed bag. But I do think there's a lot to like about him. I think the problem that he's facing now is the FCS tag and the fact that other guys are going to have more film to evaluate. You know, it's kind of hard to keep pace on a draft board when you're one and done in terms of not just full seasons, but one game this year. And these other guys are going to have some more showcase events. And so, you know, Lance is in an interesting spot. I do think the talent is there, but he might slip down boards as other guys like Wilson and Kyle Trask and Mac Jones perhaps start to rise up boards. Okay, interesting enough. Interesting enough. Now, Mark, I got to ask you about the, uh, the the prize of the 2021 NFL Draft, Trevor Lawrence. In your mind, is he the best generational quarterback prospect since someone like Andrew Luck? Is he at that level? I, I think so, Nick. I think so. Um, I think what's interesting about Trevor Lawrence is I did a video with Matt Waldman this summer on him. And at the end of the video, after we broke down a bunch of his film and you know study tape for about an hour, we talked about scheme fits for Trevor Lawrence. And we didn't come up with one that wouldn't work. And that went as far to say, like, you could drop him into Baltimore's offense, have him replace, you know, Lamar Jackson, and he could still run that offense because of his athleticism. And so, look, when you start thinking about a guy that could fit in any offensive system and run it well, that's stuff that we don't see every so often. So, yeah, I do think that as outlandish as it might sound, he's the cleanest, the most complete quarterback prospect we've seen since luck. And I know people will say, oh, well, he hasn't had a great start this year and he's not playing well. And I understand that. But when you talk about a guy that can run any system, you know, any type of offense and run it well, that makes you rare. You know, it's some of the other guys we talked about, whether it's Wilson, whether it's Lance, whether it's Justin Fields, they're going to be more limited schematically. You know, they won't fit in every offense. When you could fit in all 32 systems, you're going to be a pretty good quarterback, I think. That's an awesome way to describe it, Mark. And I haven't actually heard him described in that way and why, you know, it makes him such a unicorn type prospect in, in your mind, in my mind, and a lot of people's minds as we move forward. So it should be interesting to see. Mark, thanks for taking the time today, not only to discuss Daniel Jones, but to preview a little 2021 quarterback draft class with us. This was awesome. Literally every time we have you on, I learned at least one thing. I feel like I learned two things this time that are standing out to me and I'm going to take forward. In my analysis and just in general as a football fan and someone who's trying to learn more about the game. So thanks again for joining us. This is awesome. We love to have you on. Well, thanks so much, guys. It's, it's always a blast to come on, catch up with you guys. And anytime you need somebody to talk about whatever you need, just let me know. You know where to find me. Awesome. Hey, Mark, tell everybody where they can find you and where all your work's at. Well, the easiest way to find me is on Twitter, the old bird app, at Mark Schofield. Um, USA Today's Touchdown Wire on Twitter, a couple other different places. Bleeding Green, uh, SB Nation, uh, Pat's Pulpit at SB Nation, Big Blue View at SB Nation. But like I said, the easiest way to find me is on Twitter at Mark Schofield. Yeah, and for those of you who enjoyed Mark's analysis today, I would highly suggest, because I'm sure most of you follow Nick and I on Twitter, go to Twitter right now because he puts a lot of video breakdowns of what he kind of broke down, you know, via, via podcast today. So you can put the voice to the video 
and you can really learn a lot from him in my mind. I, I watch those religiously during the week and I learn a ton. And if you guys feel like this is this kind of stuff you're into, and I know if you're listening to our podcast, this is the type of stuff you're into, check it out because it's definitely great content. Thanks again, Mark, for joining us and we'll talk to you soon. Take care, bud. Thanks so much, guys.